Hello and welcome to For Your Reconsideration, the film podcast hosted by a man who, when asked by BBC Radio Bristol what he thought of this year's Oscar picks, said he hadn't not just seen them, he'd never heard of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Rob and here are Simon and James. How are you boys? <laughs> Very well. Uh, Wait, did they ask you about a specific one? You've heard of some of them, surely. Uh, no, no. He, he got, he asked, he said, uh, you, you, uh, you're in charge of a, you know, you're, you host a podcast, don't you, Rob? Like, uh, yes, I do. Um, it's for your reconsideration. Then he proceeded to say, oh, well, for your consideration, you know, have you seen the Oscar movies? No. Uh, no, <laughs> I don't even know which ones, which ones are on. And he went, okay then, and then blasted <laughs> swiftly on because I think he really wanted to talk about Power of the Dog. Um, but I, I obviously couldn't offer anything. And I thought, rather than filibuster, I would just be honest. <laughs> you could have I just did. said what Sam Elliott said about Power of the Dog. <laughs> that would have gone down well. I, I did say that on the podcast, I'm the one with the most appalling taste in films. So um, at least I was honest about that. But boys, it's great to be back with you. How are you? Very well. Yes, you were missed uh, last week. Um, good old Chris Goldie filling in for you. Did a cr- cracking job. Thanks again. Chris. Oh, well, I mean, what a Chicago town deep dish. Come on the pod. <laughs> Flipping egg. Not as into Usher as you, though, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, and and with far better uh, views views on film, I'd wager as well. <laughs> no, Chris, thank you so much for coming on, buddy. Absolutely brilliant. And um, Chris, actually, uh, in a pod dojo segue, uh, was lucky enough to receive today my pitch for a new series with um, w- uh, on the Tapes podcast. Just a little, you know, like can we do a little run? Because he's doing a John Carpenter run at the moment. I said, well, yeah. can we do a little run on the uh, various? Best and worst incarnations of Bigfoot, Bigfoot. on Of course, it was Bigfoot. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm chuffed about that because it gets me and Simon off the fucking hook. <laughs> Talk about the most obvious way that comes with that. <laughs> what you Can I come on the Lance Henriksen episode? <laughs> How many of those are there? About seven. <laughs> there are four. He's done four Bigfoot movies. Could you picture that? That is absolute bonkers. Um, yeah. So, um, Boys, what have you what have you been watching this past week? Well, speaking of prestigious pictures, <laughs> so uh, this week I've looked at a couple of films um, that are not recent releases, but I thought were both absolute five star masterclasses. So, the first movie I wanted to shout out is The Color of Money. Are you guys familiar with this Martin Scorsese movie from 1986? Yes, yeah, very much so. So, this movie is about fifty times better than it has any right to be. It's a sequel to The Hustler, and Paul Newman is once again outstanding as Fast Eddie, and the film takes place 25 years on from the events of The Hustler, and his pool shark is wiser, more grizzled, but still capable of uh, falling victim to the self-destructive tendencies that dogged his younger incarnation. Here, he's the experienced grifter, passing the benefits of his experience uh, to a young upstart played by an about-to-go stratospheric Tom Cruise. In a very real sense, the film serves as a symbolic torch passing from one generational movie star to another. And as excellent as the cast undoubtedly is, they are frequently upstaged by Scorsese, Michael Balhos, the cinematographer, and Thelma Shoemaker. This is a small movie with relatively small stakes, but thanks to the eye-popping, extravagant filmmaking on display... Every element of it feels momentous. Each frame of pool is totally exhilarating and and impeccable in its technical proficiency. 
Scorsese is essentially working this job as a director for hire, but rather than phone it in, he uses the material as a jumping-off point to deliver what is a stylistic tour de force. Honestly, if any other filmmaker had directed this, it'd probably be in their top three movies. For him, it barely scraped his top ten. It's just unbelievable how entertaining this movie is. It's probably the least important film he's ever made. <laughs> but it's just flawless in its execution. <laughs> it's just incredible. I, I think it's a great movie, man. I, I love that. And I think um, I wish it had more love. So uh, great to hear it giving some love here. Yeah. I watched The Hustler uh, recently, and then I saw that Colour of Money was on Disney+. Plus. I was like, I'll fire this up. And I'd always sort of considered it as lesser, minor Scorsese. And I was like, this might be one of the best films ever made. Where do I put it in his ranking? I don't know. 11th, 10th. <laughs> Bloke's a bloody genius. He only makes gangster films, though. No, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Famously. Famously. <laughs> and another one that I wanted to shout out that I know that uh, Simon is a massive fan of as well uh, is First Man, which was directed by Damien Chazelle. Oh, yeah. So I sort of put off watching this until last week due largely to the collective shoulder shrug it appeared to receive upon its initial release. I'm honestly not sure what film those critics were watching because I found this to be an astonishing retelling of a pivotal moment in human history. The film is perfectly cast across the board with dependable presences filling out the supporting characters. Claire Foy, Stockport's own, in particular shines (laughs) as Armstrong's empathetic wife, barely holding it together in the wake of her husband's emotional absence. But Ryan Gosling in this film is just chef's kiss. (laughs) He delivers a quietly outstanding performance, uh, portraying Armstrong not as the heroic figure that the iconography around the moon landing would suggest, but as this sort of insular, emotionally repressed man whose personal grief creates in him sort of a focus and determination that makes him perfect for the mission at hand. Honestly, this film is up there with Whiplash as Chazelle's finest work. He was 33 when he made that movie. The disgustingly talented (laughs) bastard. (laughs) All the films he's made have been completely different from one another and all brilliant films. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. It's annoying how this one came and went with little to no fanfare because it's really fucking brilliant like it's just so so good and gosling's sad eyes really takes you through <laughs> yeah it does yeah uh, i also saw a small independent film uh called the batman that you might have heard of <laughs> oh that niche picture how did you manage to see that was it not oh, i'm surprised tough, it was played it was tough, at the cinema yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, simon i believe you've also seen I have, that, I that have. picture I have seen that picture. Um, picture? But no, yes, I have, and I enjoyed it immensely. Good for you, boys. Would Scorsese describe the Batman as a picture? I think he would. I, I, th- I mean, I hope someone doesn't ask him, but I reckon he'd quite like Somebody it. Somebody will ask him. <laughs> <laughs> I think he'd quite like it. Um, yes, I did swill rather feverishly on, the, on, on Matt Reeves' rather excellent Batman. I, I just thought it was a really fantastic on-screen portrayal of Batman and like arguably the most like comic book e adaptation of it. Um, obviously love like Nolan's ones and, you know, Tim Burton's are great. And, you know, we spoke about Batman forever and I, I do like Batman forever for all its quirks and, and, and faults. But I think this one feels like an actual, it feels like a as close to the comic books as you're going to get. Certainly that sort of eighties, nineties era 
Frank Miller, Alan Moore sort of era of Batman where it's all very grim and, and you know, it's, it's just full of dread. Yeah. And I just love how, like, Matt Reeves, um, Matt Reeves, like, realised Gotham, you know, with all its, like, decrepit streets and criminals just flooding everywhere and, you know, making it feel like a li- living, breathing city. What was re- That's really on the brink of ruin, which is what Gotham is. And, you know, it, it, it real felt like its own big world, like, and we'd just been brought into this little pocket of it. Um, like a week week's worth of this world and you know it didn't it, it did away with all the origin stuff which was great to see that you didn't see slow motion pearls dropping to the ground yeah. again and, <laughs> yeah. and it was just straight in there year two um pattinson being gorgeous emo pattinson writing forlornly in his diary which was just absolutely brilliant <laughs> no I, I loved it as a as a big fan of batman and um matt reeves in general actually i, I yeah it ticked a lot of boxes for me. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. A bit long, obviously. Three hours is always long. Prohibitive. Yeah. But... <laughs> I'm, I'm, I can't get the five hours to go and <laughs> drive out to a movie theater and watch this. No way. I, I think the nature of the film and how it's more sort of like lends itself to Fincher more so than comic book movies. It kind of it, it it just about gets away with it. I think. Yeah. Maybe three hours, probably maybe a bit too much, but um, it's certainly not a drag like other. No, you know, not like one like I always use Wonder Woman eighty four as the example where there's no reason for that film to be two hours forty. Yeah, um, and that is a massive drag. Whereas this one, I felt was like, uh, yeah, on the money for me. Even though I did have to go to the toilet like three times. <laughs> well, the other I, I know famously your test site is. How many times did you look at your watch? How many times? Gorgeous sound, but there, by the way. Sorry, I was drinking my gin. Um, it was gorgeous. Uh, I, 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 I did look at it once, but that was because I needed my second or third wee, and I was like, can I hold it for the rest of it? <laughs> and there was another hour left, and I was like, yeah, I need to go. <laughs> so, so it was not from a boredom point of view. It was purely no. bladder management. Yes, it was a, yeah. a, a 100% bladder management, uh, which I obviously didn't manage very well. <laughs> What did you drink beforehand? I'm going to see the three-hour Batman. I'm going to have eight pints beforehand. I went on the, <laughs> the first screening on Sunday morning to avoid that happening, but now still, I think I had a coffee beforehand. Still, just absolutely horrendous. As my wife famously says, we can all pass five milliliters at any time. Apparently, yeah, uh, oh yeah. God. So you can always go for a wee when someone says. Maybe I was just worried about it too much and my body was like... Yeah, ah. I think you got it in your own head. <laughs> Talked yourself into having a wish. Oh. Uh, what, what did you think about it, James? I thought it was really good. Really, really excellent. Like you, I really like Matt Reeves. He's sort of the king of the sombre, depressing blockbuster, isn't he? Uh, with mm. this and War for the Planet of the Apes, which is one of the most depressing blockbusters in recent years. <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was really, really good. I thought it could have been maybe... I thought he could probably told the same story in two and a half hours, potentially maybe shave 20 minutes out of I it. I think so. Because yeah. uh, it gets a little bit baggy in the middle, but... Yeah, it's a minor criticism. I just thought it was really good. The new cast is excellent. They all look like they're really into the material. Story's good. Genuinely intriguing mystery. I just think it's it's really really well done, and I'm uh, it's I think it's done quite well at the box office. I hope we get another one. Absolutely, because it, it's just set up 
the world so well, and it'll be a shame not to revisit. I know there's a few sort of TV series in the works. I think Penguin's getting a spin-off, isn't he? Yeah, yeah that's been greenlit today. The Penguin spin-off with Colin Farrell, which I I still can't get my head around how that's Colin Farrell. Um, he's very good in it, but um, yeah, I'm I I can't wait to get back to his version of Gotham, which is basically Liverpool with <laughs> with extra rain. <laughs> it's um, wetter than an otter's pocket. It's ridiculous. <laughs> rainy it is. It's really, really good. I, oh, I, I had a little uh, question for you, Simon, because it kept on occurring to me while I was watching the film. There's bits where uh, Pattinson's out and he's dressed as Batman, and then there's other bits where he's on his motorbike following people in like, his Bruce Wayne garb. Where did he put his suit? What, his bat, his bat suit? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> in a little backpack on it. <laughs> he's got a little bat, a bat pack. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I just kept thinking, where did he put his suit? <laughs> Rob, you'll also enjoy it as well because it has a lot of Batman going into uh, into everyday sort of places in full bat regalia, a la <laughs> Batman Forever. <laughs> Do you mind if I sit in on proceedings, Your Honor? <laughs> now I'm down with this. He just keeps walking into ty- crime scenes and like all the cops are just going, the fuck is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I really want to see it. It's just the time required is pretty off-putting uh, to me at this point. But yeah. I will I will sort myself out. I just wish that, you know, the, the movie had been out one day before articles started appearing from places like BuzzFeed slash film, the usual, yeah. you know, culprits, like, oh, here's the full explanation on that cameo or that yeah. appearance and that kind of thing. And ruined, I'm like, ruins can it, yeah. you, so I'm like, I, it literally dulls my excitement hugely yeah. when I when I read that. And, and it, it truthfully, I planned to go yesterday, then I realised it was three hours long. <laughs> <laughs> I planned to go today, and I'm like, oh, I'm being, I'm already being told that there's, you know, the spoilers about it, and it dulls it for me. I, I have to be honest. It does, yeah. I haven't seen the new Spider-Man movie because that's exactly what happened. Yeah, exactly. Two weeks after it, I wasn't going to go in the first two weeks, and then two weeks after it was out, I knew everything, all of the cameos, everything. Yeah, and I was like, "Well, what's the point? I'll just wait now." Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. There's no. It, it's it, seriously there. There has to be some accountability and responsibility from these places not to spoil stuff. Because as much as I've had my uh, ding dongs with the James Bond community, <laughs> they really didn't spoil the end of that film. No, I have to really respect that. Nobody spoiled the end of that mm. film because Australia got it like a full month or longer later and yeah. and they managed not to spoil it for them so why are you know why are the film press essentially who are supposed to be championing this stuff why are they spoiling it for people i, I just don't know yeah well i think the difference is it's the ones who are doing it it's the it's the modern press isn't it so it's online mm. websites and it's mainly stateside as well because i remember spider-man came out over here first i think Mm. So you got a few days grace where there were no spoilers. And then as soon as it drops in America, that's it. It's just a free for all. And yeah. all the websites are doing those clickbait headlines, which are spoilers in themselves. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I, I was quite lucky with the Batman. I, I muted every word yeah, possible as well. uh, to avoid <laughs> anything. But I, I'm very rare went into a film not having you know a real minimal clue of what was going on outside of yeah. the trailer. Which, you know, it makes it more enjoyable. And I just wish these people would realise that, you know, for the sake of their website clicks. I know that's how oh, they make yeah. their living and yeah. things like that. But, um, you know, it is quite frustrating when it's almost immediately where uh, things are getting spoiled and ruined. And 
you know, it, it's good after you've seen the film to then seek out those articles yeah, and exactly, ha- read yeah. a bit of it. You know, totally. It's great having them around, but don't put them front and don't put it in the headline and yeah but then it's clickbait isn't it at the same time seriously in in the three days since because it's been out what is it it came out on friday Friday, yeah Yeah. so um you know we're under a week out i've seen four articles uh from uh, just just slash film i'm gonna Mm. i'm gonna say it i adored slash films a bit growing up you know earlier in me um you know when movies and internet really collided yeah but I do find so much is spoiled for me all the time. You find this more with comic book movies than you do with any other type of movie, though. Yeah, it's, like... it's quite exclusive to that type of movie, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Oh, just one last thing true. on the uh, on the Batman. I don't know if you agree with this side, but um, I thought the third act really, really delivered and really stuck the landing, which is sometimes a bit where these comic book movies tend to fall apart because it's just a big... There's big CGI things hitting other CGI things or a battle in the sky or what have you. Mm. But there's, there's none of that here. I thought it was oh, really right. well well, uh, well handled. And yeah, uh, I, pretty thrilling to be yeah, fair. Absolutely. That, that is amazing. Like if, if only if, if those websites had put instead of you won't believe what cameo was got or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And instead put this film's got a great third act. <laughs> yeah, I'd be yeah. like, yeah, now I'm excited. <laughs> It's great because I think obviously there's CGI in it and there's a lot of VFX in it, but it's that sort of VFX where it's made to blend in. To you the don't background. notice it. So you don't, all, yeah. you know, you don't notice it. And I think that's part of the reason why I loved it so much is it doesn't rely on these big CGI showdowns for the last act, which is so boring. Um, and I, I sort of liken it to the Logan when Logan came out. Yeah, and that then learnt from the mistakes of. The Wolverine, which was the the previous movie to that, where it did end on a big stupid CGI showdown, and then they didn't really do that for for Logan. I mean, it was a CGI thing, but it wasn't as big and mental as it usually is. And this is the same. It's just like a proper grounded human story and a community story, and about this city how it's just completely <laughs> it's completely up against the wall because of it's just been torn apart by crime. Um, and bent coppers and corrupt politicians and all this sort of stuff. It's an absolute cesspit. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I honestly think it's the most successful on-screen depiction of Gotham City. Um, because I re- I recently rewatched the Nolan ones. I love those films; they're absolutely brilliant. The Dark Knight's amazing and will forever, well, for a long time, has been the best comic book movie. The Gotham City part of it, it just feels like you're in Canary Wharf or something. It's just really like, doesn't feel like it's the, you know, the the down and out city it should be to need a Batman. It's just like a normal city. It's a bit, so that's that's why this is good. Absolutely brilliant. It's good for different reasons. Awesome. Um, I actually want to see it now. You've actually, you know, got me excited about it again, which you've done better than all the written pro- promotional <laughs> material, the the juggernauts of it, you know? Just don't have a drink beforehand. Uh, <laughs> or during. No liquids for, <laughs> for no 12 liquids. hours prior. <laughs> do, you, do you think one of those isotonic pouches, uh, you know, would be all right? Just like squeeze it straight down the gullet. <laughs> <laughs> like fish oil. <laughs> awesome. Um I I would love to tell you because obviously it's been a couple of weeks since we've spoken um, about anything like this. Obviously, we talk all the time. I would love to tell you I've been filling my you know boots with all sorts of stuff. No, I just finished the responder. 
brilliant. It was so good. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, just loved give, it. Give Freeman the, the BAFTA. Just give it him. Don't bother having a conversation. Just give it him. I'm going to start it after we finish recording today, actually. It's so awesome. good. It's really good, mate. It is really good. Um, I think it's, uh, yeah, one of the, the best... Uh, and I'm not a barometer for opinion, as uh, Br- <laughs> Bristol R- Bristol BBC Radio knows now. <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, I think this is one of the best, um, yeah, TV shows you're going to find anywhere. Big props to Sh- Tony Schumacher uh, for writing this one. Um, and also, I just thought that uh, the two kids in it, Josh Finn and Emily Fan, were amazing yeah. in this show. Um, and really sort of sneaked it out, st- almost stole the damn thing, if Freeman wasn't just absolutely incredible. So, uh, yeah, brilliant. Uh, also, got a shout-out. Big love to my boy, Warren Brown. Uh, can I call him my boy? I think I should call him my boy. <laughs> yeah. What a man. You've been for a beer with him, haven't you? So there you go. Yeah, 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 yeah. But he, he he was absolutely brilliant in it. Um, really hope there's a season two so we can follow his arc uh, as what, what he's up to. But also, absolutely brilliant stuff from uh, Adeleo Adadeo as well. Yeah. Who was Chris Carson, the main character's partner, on those long nights. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. So I, I just love that show. Thought it was great. Really hope there's more. But there was one other thing. I it was a couple of episodes ago now that I pleaded with the gods of cinema to give us a trailer for Jurassic Park Dominion. <laughs> we were given one. They gave us one. Oh my word. I I am even more bemused than I was before. <laughs> I know as if it's possible from a trailer, I know less about the film. <laughs> Having seen the trailer. What did you guys think? I mean, yeah, it's like the Lost World, but for two—the last twenty minutes of the Lost World, but for two hours, basically. That stupid <laughs> clone kid's still knocking around, and my boy Blue is still knocking about. Raptor Bros. Raptor Bros. <laughs> I mean, I- I'm complaining, but I will be there. I will go and see it. I just. <sighs> <laughs> Colin Trevorrow, I'm not slagging him off because everyone would do the same thing, right? He made one independent film and then he got given the keys to this franchise, right? Matt Reeves worked his way up the ladder, each film getting a little bit bigger and bigger each time until he got the Apes franchise and then Warner Brothers gave him the keys to the Crown Jewels after that, basically. That's how it's supposed to work. And you can tell in the quality of the work because he's cut his teeth on the smaller movies and become a better filmmaker in the process. It just, you know, I'm, I'm going to go and see it. But for me, I just don't understand why the dinosaurs don't capture the same feeling of wonder that they did back in 1993. Maybe it's because I'm an adult now. <laughs> or maybe it's because they used a lot more animatronics back in 1993 and didn't just fill every single frame with as many dinosaurs as they could possibly fit in. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, I've, I'm not, I haven't got high hopes, but I will go regardless. I either hope it's a one-star fiasco or five stars. I just don't want an insipid three stars, please. I just can't. I don't think I'm going to face that. I would take a three star, a solid three-star over the Fallen Kingdom nonsense that we watched last time, which most people think is two separate movies. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and they were like, yeah, so which one was the second one? Oh, that was the one with the volcano. And then there was the third one with the haunted mansion. It's, they're, the, they're the same movie, believe it or not. I just remember that one after the volcano bit. The dinosaurs took a massive backseat and it was just about greedy bad guys trying to make money. Yeah. It was like, I don't want this. Get rid of this, this 
money-grabbing fiend. I want a dinosaur doing something. And the auction in that, you could buy a dinosaur for like $25 million. You can't even buy an average centre-half for that. (laughs) (laughs) Here we've got Chris Samba. uh, There's a reference, sorry. (laughs) Harry Maguire costs three velociraptors. It's absolutely ridiculous. Goodness me! Sheffield Wednesday rocking up with a with a triceratops at right back. Like, Who the fuck is that? Cheaper than the fellow we wanted. <laughs> they've they've clearly with that move they've clearly sacrificed pace for guile. <laughs> Tell you what, they're really struggling down that left wing today. Yeah. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> um, so, well, should we have a have a look at tonight's film? Because we've gasbagged about all sorts. Yep. <laughs> um, I think this has been on my radar since the very beginning of this podcast, which I believe is episode 83. It is, yeah. yeah. Take. Outstanding. Um, because this, for me, encapsulates uh, all the reasons why this podcast is something we love to do. A divisive movie that swung for the fences and may or may not have landed. Um, but definitely has its people who love it, people who really hate it. So really excited. To give you a logline, um, and again, I wish I'd prepared this more, but as I explained to the boys before we came on air, uh, one of the kids put a ponytail in the dog's hair and it stopped me from <laughs> actually preparing for this episode before I came on. So I'm going to have to wing this. There's a small community in the woods in America, and it's a long time ago, and they are surrounded by things in the woods. What's happening? (laughs) This is the world's worst log line. (laughs) It's not the most succinct. (laughs) All right, I can try it. I'll try it. Um, There are these people who are from the past. (laughs) um, It's great to have you back, bro. Thank you. (sighs) I'm just going to read IMDb's. (laughs) I'm so sorry. A series of events tests the belief of a small, isolated countryside village. That'll do. Of course. <laughs> it's the village. <laughs> it's M. Night Shyamalan's 2004 masterpiece, so shock, stroke shocker, <laughs> the, the village. We have always had, since the day we settled here, a gentle understanding with the creatures who live beyond our borders. We do not stray into their woods. They do not come into our village. I have always pictured them in some ways as our protectors. They have allowed us to live here, nestled amongst them in this untouched place. By the markings we find this morning on our homes, I feel they were warning us. We may question ourselves at moments such as these. Did we make the right decision to settle here? I fear our days of peace are over.
So, fellas, I can imagine you're wondering what is going through my mind at this point um, with bringing the village to the podcast. If I were to go back to uh, when this came to VHS, because I didn't, sorry, to DVD, I didn't see it in the cinemas, this one. Big Shyamalan fan, um, but the planets aligned in such a way that I couldn't get to see it at the cinema, um, which considering, you know, like then I was single and <laughs> 21. <laughs> How did I not do it? I don't know what was going on. <laughs> I watched it with our friends, the Pickup Brothers from Really 007. And they told me, they'd seen it in the cinema. They told me, you've got to see it, Rob. You've got to see it. So I went around especially on, I think it was possibly the week of it arriving on DVD and uh, had a lovely meal with the family. And then we settled down to watch this. And this has been, that that will always sit with me as one of the best home movie experiences of my whole life because the excitement was so palpable and I didn't know what to expect. Um, this was back when, as we've discussed right through this episode, there wasn't really such a thing as spoilers, you know, and no. I didn't know anything about this at all, just that it was a Shyamalan period piece. Now, bearing in mind up to this point, um, well, not sorry, not just up to this point, but I, I've always been a Shyamalan fan. And this was sort of like, it was always going to be something I wanted to check out. But to sit and watch it like this was just unbelievable. And it scared me for so long afterwards. Like, it really affected me for so long afterwards. I couldn't watch it again until, oh, I think it must have been maybe four years later, five years later. I watched it again, and it really cemented how much I loved it. Um, again, another big period of time has gone by. So I think to last night when I watched it before, you know, to prep for the podcast, I think it's been eight to ten years since I've seen it because it wallops me every single time. And knowing that it divided audiences just as viscerally as it did, it got me aching to know what your take on it was, boys. So that's how we're here today. Wonderful. But what about, James, let's start with yourself. What about your relationship with The Village? Yeah, so I actually did see this in the cinema on its initial release. It was a packed screening and I had very, very fond memories of this. I thought it was, I, I remember really finding it quite effective at the time. And I was probably the only person in the group of friends I was with who was paying attention properly because one of the people I went with did not realise that Bryce Dallas Howard's character was blind. <laughs> When we were discussing, perhaps he was also blind. I hope not, because he drove me home. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, that was a real conversation that I had with a friend of mine as we left the theatre. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that does lead us to a very significant point, guys. There are spoilers here. Yes. So if you haven't seen the village, flipping on and watch it before you go any further, because we're going to have to talk the ins and outs, and including. You know, Shyamalan has always been famous for big reveals. There are some big reveals in this. So go watch it before you listen any further. Yeah, so it was an enjoyable experience. And to be honest with you, that's the that's the one and only time I've seen it. I haven't seen it again oh, wow. since I watched it a day or two ago. So 18 years? Yeah. That's amazing. Sai, what about you? The Village? Uh, can I shock you? Uh, first time first time watch for me, this. Was it? Oh, wow. Yeah. Quite surprising, but... I mean, I do like Shyamalan, and I did like him at the time, but I had this sort of love-hate relationship with him when his films came out because I never saw The Sixth Sense in the cinema, and it really f- fucked me off how everyone spoiled it for me. Yes, yes, <laughs> so I, I remember, was never, yeah. I was never like, a, I, I remember, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't explicit in the spoilers. It was all like going around to me 
granddad's house and my aunties and uncles. And they're all like, oh, oh, tell you. That twist at the end. Oh, oh brilliant. Well, I'll tell you what it is. Brilliant, brilliant. And you're like, so I know there's a, I know there's a twist coming. It's like the episode of the IT crowd. It's, well, I know there's a twist. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. Have, has BuzzFeed and Slashfilm modelled their entire business model on your, yeah, your family, the, the di- family get-togethers? The, the dining room table at my granddad's house and his nine children uh, just ruining... <laughs> Shyamalan movies for me. <laughs> I never never got around to watching this one. As much as I loved Unbreakable and Signs as well, I went to the cinema to watch both of those. Oh, yeah. And uh, because Signs scared me so much, I just didn't really want to go and see this. <laughs> so, And it, it just, just one of those that just slipped off the radar over the years and I just never got around to watching it. So um, I'm glad you brought it, Rob, because it was, it was about time I sort of um, checked this off my list. Nice, nice. Can I just ask you both, like, because he's... Shyamalan himself is a divisive director, isn't he? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to put my line in the sand to say I found elements of his, his filmography extremely frustrating, yeah, but overwhelmingly extremely fascinating and extremely interesting and exciting. Misunderstood? Yeah, I think there's an element of that. There's also I'm going to also put it on record now that um, uh, I think I, 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 in a nightclub when I was younger, some a, a girl asked me who I, you know, wanted to be when I was older, and I did say I'd like to be M Night Shyamalan. <laughs> how did that? How did that work out for you, Rob? Did you? Uh... <laughs> he struck out. He struck out, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> swing away, Rob. Swing <laughs> Felt wrong not to swing. <laughs> I mean. Um... If she if she responded well to that, you probably would have ended up marrying her, surely. <laughs> Possibly. That is a very niche. Uh... The, the answer was who? <laughs> you know, in, in, uh, over the you know, the the baseline, like, M Night Shyamalan. <laughs> uh, so what? Yeah, you guys. How do you feel just going into knowing it's a Shyamalan movie? I mean, I know yeah. obviously, uh, James, you'd seen this before, but like your your feelings towards Shyamalan. I've seen all of his movies. Um, well, since The Sixth Sense, I know he made a movie before that, which I've never seen and is quite hard to track down. Yeah. But yeah, I've seen all of his movies. I went to see Old in the cinema last year. Loved Old. Old great. Thought it was great. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, I, even when he misses, I'm still glad that he's about because he will take a swing every single mm. time. He doesn't make safe movies. And yeah, I think... Look, look if you if you create two films that are as well crafted as as the sixth sense and unbreakable you are a great filmmaker now he's yes. he's never got to those heights again but it's a, he's at a pretty high bar from the start it was always going to be very difficult for him to yeah. get back up there and i think a lot of the backlash that come with Shyamalan is people started comparing him to Spielberg as you know when signs was uh, was about to come out yes. the new Spielberg and i think people just sort of got it in for him as well at the same you know i agree like, i agree it's like you're not steven spielberg and he's actually talked about that himself like if somebody dubs he's a basketball f- fan and he said if somebody dubbed a player like the new michael jordan then he would already be sort of taking against that player subconsciously yes, yeah. Yeah, and I think if people dub a director as the next Spielberg, it does them no favors whatsoever because it just raises a bar to an unrealistic 
height that they might not be able to hit again just because they'd had two masterful movies before that doesn't mean that everything that they're going to... Not every director can hit that same level every yeah. single time. So he peaks and he troughs. And when he peaks, he's very good. And when he troughs... Um, the happening happens. The happening. <laughs> I was going to say. I had a good time with The Happening. It's not a good movie, <laughs> but I found it very entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm glad he's around. I'd rather someone took a swing every time. And I think he's sort of, he's rejuvenated himself over the last 10 years or so since he took the budgets back down and started putting his own money into the projects. It sort of like gave him a new lease of life. And not all of those movies are perfect at all, but they're, they're movies that only he can make. Yeah, I, I agree. What about, what about you, having not seen this film before? What did you think? Yeah, right. I, I mean, I was looking forward to it because, you know, like you say, the, the he might not always be successful, but there's always something interesting and unique with his films, no matter how good or bad they are. Um, so they're, they're, they are always worth a watch, other than The Last Airbender, which is an absolute monstrosity of a film. <laughs> um, but we'll just forget about that. Um, yeah, I, I, I really rate him. And it, it, I think James just completely now, I've got really nothing to add to what James said there. He has hits, he has misses, and there is just an un- unfair expectation placed upon him because the sixth sixth sense was so huge that was like a cultural phenomenon the sixth sense was when that came out like it blew everyone's tiny minds and sort of (laughs) transcended that um that thing between film goers and just every everyone everyone who will just watch a movie went to see it and enjoyed it it just it was just a thing that everyone latched onto and and loved so yeah, if you could make a film like that, then I've always got time to see what you're up to next. And you know, unfortunately, Last Airbender did pretty much kill his career for the studios. Um, but it's good to see that he's, you know, he has come back. And as we just mentioned, old again, that kind of got a bit like sort of tepid reviews, and some people didn't get on on with it. But I absolutely love that. I I was really into that and what he how that turned out. Um, mm. Maybe it's because I was expecting it to be a bit rubbish <laughs> um, and you sort of have those lower expectations. So, so he clears those quite easily and it just makes it appear better in, in, you know, as the sort of inverse to people going in with such high expectations and they're ultimately disappointed, which is potentially what the village suffered from when it came out. Yes. But yeah, I was glad um, to finally watch it. Awesome. Um, did any of you guys see the uh, Wayward Pines TV show that he executive produced? Uh, no, I, I think he directed the pilot as well, didn't he? And, yeah, I uh, think so, yeah. Yes, uh, I ha- I've never got round to watching that. I know it's a series of novels. Right, no, I, I, I didn't see it either. I just, this was totally out of interest to see whether anyone saw it. Um, Servant Rocks as well on Apple TV. It's really good. Cool. Yeah, I've heard Servant's really good with um, L. Ron Weasley. Yeah, and Toby Kebbell. Yeah, it's great. Oh, nice. Uh, I, he's directed four episodes of that, apparently. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's his, it's probably his baby, isn't it? That? Oh, is it? Mm. Oh, right. Well, I'm interested in uh, watching that too. Because anything he's attached to, I don't think there's any coasting involved. I don't think there's any boredom no, involved. He commits any... whether, he's, whether yeah, he gets it right or not is another thing. But yeah, every time I sit down to watch one of his movies, when a new one's coming out, uh, you know, I saw his last three movies at the theaters as well. So uh, yeah, Split Glass and um, and Old. 
and I had a great time with all of them. Yeah. They, they weren't all perfect by any stretch, but I thought there was interesting stuff going on. So anything that I might say about it, him in this, about this particular film, I am a Shyamalan fan, and whatever he's doing next, I will be going to see it. So yeah. <laughs> I want to make that clear. Yeah, I think that's really fair. That's really fair. Because if you are going to swing that hard for the fences, you are going to have hits and misses. Yeah. Um, And it's quite right that we're able to talk about them in an open way. With that in mind, should we just, should we hop straight into the movie as well? Well, we've got to talk about how it qualifies first, haven't we? Oh, flipping Nora. I'm so sorry. I got so excited. (laughs) One week away and he's forgot the intro. I know. He's forgot the logline. He can't do anything. (laughs) All it back to episode it's, one. <laughs> all it took was one dog ponytail, and here we are. <laughs> Things are going to pieces. So, yeah, budget and box office. I always assumed it qualified because I heard it was poorly rated. Um, when I said to you guys, this is what we're going to do, um, I actually hadn't checked. Yeah. So I assume because you guys have let it get this far <laughs> that it actually qualifies. <laughs> James, budget and box office, are we there? Well, it certainly wasn't on the numbers because at this point in time, Shyamalan was a massively successful commercial director. Uh, so regardless of any critical response, his movies were making bank at the box office. Uh, so the film grossed $114 million in the US and a further $142 million in international markets. So it's worldwide a box office total $256 million against a $60 million production budget. Nice. That made it the 10th highest grossing PG-13 movie of 2004. So he's not messing about. No, nice. The Sixth Sense, Unbreakable, Signs and The Village were all monster hits at the box office. I, I, I think $60 million is a good budget for him as well, actually. Yeah. You know, like, it's not... He doesn't work at that level... Currently, his last no, three no, have not been nowhere all. near that. Yeah, last not four all. actually, probably. Yeah, since After Earth, he's really he's really scaled back. Mm, amazing, good to hear he had another hit on his hands. Then that that run of four films commercially is big deal, isn't it? That yeah, absolutely. Um, so critically, Sai, I'm guessing this is where it all gets a little bit harem scarem. Yeah, I think critically, you know, at least The Village was the was the film that sort of broke Shyamalan's hot streak after Sixth Sense, Unbreakable and Signs, which are all certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. They're all over 70. It got a whole heap of sort of tepid reviews, meaning it currently sits at 43% on Rotten Tomatoes, 44 on Metacritic, um, with a few critics growing weary of the inevitable Shyamalan twist um, and ultimately being quite underwhelmed by the end of the film. Um, oh, the sheriff. The sheriff was not a fan of the village. Uh, he gave it one star, saying, uh, This is bad. Amateur work given a superficial veneer of professionalism. <laughs> a view that was actually shared by Roger Ebert as well, who said, The village is a colossal miscalculation, a movie based on a premise that cannot support it, a premise so transparent it would be laughable were the movie not so deadly solemn. Uh, they both give it one star, so <laughs> not a not a good good Aww. start from the from the the, the, the big hitters. Um, there were some though who did bat for Minoj, um, however, um, particularly over here in the UK, with uh, Ian Nathan of Empire gave it four stars, saying it was made with such elegance, atmosphere, and wonderfully managed performances, it will nestle deep inside your head, refusing to budge. 
And uh, Nev Pierce of the BBC uh, really stuck up for the filmmaker as he said, um, go in with a snide attitude, desperate to see the Sixth Sense director fail, and you'll leave with your prejudices underpinned. Better to embrace the experience and allow him to show off his sublime gift for suspense. Nev also gave it four stars. And uh, James Christopher of The Times, also uh, over in the UK, uh, gave it a thumbs up, calling it another voluptuous piece of tension and Shyamalan's best work since The Sixth Sense. Nice. So over here, over here, it did, it did pretty well by comparison to the states, where it got a bit of a slate in. Um, yeah. And I do think uh, that's why it's sort of so low um, is is because of the um, the review stateside. Um, audience wise, it is a touch better. It's got fifty seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes um, with a six point seven on Metacritic's audience metric. Um, over on Letterboxd, it's got a, a more than respectable 3.2 um, with some really favourable reviews, actually, such as this one from Tessa, who said, such a perfect film in every way. The score breaks my heart. Oh, yeah. And from Kishore, who called it an underrated masterpiece um, and gave it four and a half stars. So, yeah, there you go. Mixed bag of nuts for the village. Nice, nice. Well, still love you. Love you, Sheriff. And uh, Tessa and Kishore, love it. Nice, lovely, lovely reviews. Yeah. Also worth noting um, that uh, the sheriff gave the Batman one star as well. He did not like the Batman over. <laughs> <laughs> they were all out of kilter with him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be honest, the sheriff can do no wrong. So no, he can do what he likes. Whatever. He's yeah, he's got a free pass. Free pass. He's it. got a yeah. He's got a, a lifetime free pass. He's been do. He's been in this game for too long. So he knows the deal here. He knows the deal here. Um, I love the uh, the take from the British critics. He's like, get off his back. He's doing his bloody best. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, right. Should we jump in? Yes. So yeah, spoiler warning. If you haven't seen the village and you're interested to see it, go, go. watch it because. We can't really talk about this movie without talking about the big reveals. Yes. Uh, Disney Plus right now. Go. Disney Plus in the UK. Oh, yeah. yeah. Disney Plus. Buena Vista. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, speaking of which, lovely uh, Touchstone Pictures logo. Uh, then lovely uh, Blinding Edge, the production company, Shyamalan's. Yeah. The, when I see those, I think, oh, I'm in for a lovely evening here. Well, yeah. and then and then you get the bloody credits list pop up, and it's just the most insane credits list. Of, it's just it's ridiculous. Yes. Just name after name. I know. Up. Am I allowed to say it, it's not the greatest font ever? Oh, well, <laughs> am I allowed to say that? Were we early noughties? Maybe typeface it, it was a little, uh, a little bit of papyrus going papyrus. on. <laughs> <laughs> papyrus. Papyrus. Oh, like, Papyrus knockoff going on here. (laughs) Um, But we've already got Newton Howard's gorgeous score. Newton Howard smashes it here. This score is—it's his finest work. It's It's incredible, isn't it? Yeah, it's absolutely stunning, Um, and I think it adds adds such a significant percentage of enjoyment to this film mm. i really do um whether you enjoy it or not you know i still think the score is something that you can yeah you can always say is really positive about this um and we've got roger deakins on cinematography deakins oh. yeah it's i mean there's the film is positively pulsating with bde <laughs> <laughs> big deak energy <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's. It, I mean, it's no surprise that these big names are attached because 
he's really Shyamalan's really hot stuff at this point in time. Yes. Yeah. Like he's yeah. He's the toast of the town, really. So it's no surprises that there. That's probably why the budget was so high because he's just getting these absolute top draw, you know, masters of the craft involved in yeah. James Newton Howard and Deakins mm. and the cast as well. You know, I think there are some famous names in there that probably weren't famous at the time, um, but even so, yeah, you know, Adrian Brody, mm. fresh off the pianist. So I think this yeah. is probably the first film that he did after winning the uh, the Best Actor Oscar. Yeah. Oh, did he not win the Best Actor Oscar for this? Uh, no, but I think his agent You've gone too far. <laughs> we all know what the thinking was back in the mid-2000s. <laughs> uh, but yeah, who else is this? Um, Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, Joaquin Phoenix is yeah. a future Oscar winner. Judy Greer, can we get a shout for I think Judy Greer is Judy, brilliant in everything. Yeah, Judy Greer's in. in it. Um, Michael Pitt's in it. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg pops up. Baby Brendan Gleeson. Brendan Gleeson. Welcome back it. to the pod, Bren. Welcome back. Absolutely it, outstanding. It's, it's a real stack. Sigourney, Sigourney Weaver's in it. Goodness like, gracious. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> back, Sigourney. Yeah, it's, it's a real stat cast, and you can see where a lot of the $60 million went. <laughs> you really can. I mean, I, I find it supremely watchable because of the cast and because of the quality on display. I really, really do. The, the film... It sort of gets underway um, at a very harrowing child's funeral. Yeah, it's a real tone setter. <laughs> it really is, isn't it? So that review said it was very sombre. Yup. Yeah. Yeah. Yup. Um, and Br- Brendan Gleeson, yeah. So it's like old-timey America, isn't it? Just like a little... A little sort it of is, kid. yeah. Sort 1897. Of... Or is it? <laughs> <laughs> Well, yes, uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> not ready to go there yet. Because um, when we get there, I have to ask you. And I, I have, I'll ask... I've got a laundry list of, <laughs> of the logic leaps. That love I'm it, love it. I want to hear it all. I want to hear it all. So it, it's got the year on the headstone, hasn't it? That's yeah. kind of the only reason you've got this funeral to sort of solidly say what suggest what year it is. Because uh, uh, spoiler alert, I've never seen that that uh, before. So. Like yeah, because outside of that, you could be also like thinking it's some sort of like Amish community type. Yes, you could. Yeah. Think, yeah. You know where yeah. where the, you know they do live in modern times, but they just live in an old fashioned way. So putting that year on the tombstone is like no, we are actually in old timey America. It's not. Yes. Uh, uh, or are we? <laughs> <laughs> It's a good question. Uh, it's a valid question. But they're all they're all having a big dinner, aren't they? And they hear loads of strange noises from the woods, um, which oh. Adrian Brody kind of enjoys. Uh, oh, no, I loved her does. like. <laughs> <laughs> but we've got to talk about Adrian Brody, right? So <laughs> we have to, yeah. Adrian Brody is playing sort of a uh, a, de- a developmentally challenged character. Yes, Noah Percy. Yes, yes, and it is. Borderline offensive. What he's doing? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in in a in a certainly in a modern lens, it really is, isn't it? It's uh, it's it's like you're watching it go. Ah. He wasn't going for that. That's just how it's going across. We're very much into sort of simple Jack territory here, which is uh, which is a reference to uh, Ben Stiller's character trying to in Tropic Thunder tried to, try win, an to win an Oscar. Oscar. 
Yes. Was that a dig at this then? Was I think it was. Up? I really it think it is. Yeah. <laughs> that and like uh, Sean Penn in I Am Sam and stuff yeah. like that. There was a a lot of these types of roles were being recognised for uh, for Oscar nominations back in the two thousands. I I ca- ca- oh dear. Am I I don't know how to talk about this because I thought he was excellent. <laughs> <laughs> I just did. I mean, he—it's. He, I think borderline is the key word. He doesn't <laughs> quite go full on offensive, but it kind of does. <laughs> uh, yeah, because um, I, I think his role is hugely complex. It's a very important role for the film. And as to- well, yeah, totally pivotal. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, his portrayal—you could say—is it's all. I mean, obviously, he's the person doing it so it's always down to him as well but the direction as as well will obviously have played a part in that the direction he was getting what you can't fault i don't think is is his commitment to it oh yeah i don't think but um you you're absolutely whether he's gone too far is a a big question mark yeah i just it just feels i mean he's sort of just it feels very generic of that type of role. I know what you're saying. At yeah, that time, like it feels quite cynical in the way that it's been conceived, not necessarily by him. Yes, but like you, you know, it's just oh right. Well, he's got some sort of developmental disorder. It's not given any specific. Yes, I just, I, I just, it didn't work for me. It, it, it didn't work yeah, for me. Maybe yeah, I'm looking yeah, at it through underst- a 2022. No, but I can lens. definitely understand it, that. It, it jarred on that. me a few times. Yeah, I think it's a fair sort of um, thing to point out. I, why, I agree. Why do you think the character was that way? Do you think it's because you get this sort of sort of a sense of innocence with that sort of character, like a default innocence, which then sort of when it leads up to what he ultimately does later in the film makes it a bit more impactful. Yeah, when you put it like that, side, it makes the decision to make him uh, de- developmentally challenged, it, it it makes that decision even more cynical, actually. Mm. You know, like to cover up... Yeah. You know, to cover up the uh, the plot machinations by... Well, this will be easy if we just make him... He feels like a bit of a plot device, doesn't he? Like yeah. The reason that he can go into the woods is because he's an innocent, and that's sort of the rationale that. They... Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's 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 why, isn't it? The, yeah, the, yeah. So that's probably. And there's also a thematic thing in that they, you know, it'll be difficult to talk around this too much, but like an act of violence actually comes out of an act of naivety rather than mm. rather than something uh, premeditated or. Or calculated, yeah. It, it, it's certainly, it's certainly an interesting choice. And again, another example of Mister Shyamalan swinging as hard as he can for those damn fences. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you get um, very quickly established that there are elders here, headed by um, William Hurt's Edward Walker. He's got Sigourney Weaver with him as Alice Hunt, and Brendan Gleeson's in there as well. Cherry Jones as Mrs. Clack. Cherry Jones, another Shyamalan favourite. Celia Weston. Vivian Percy, and another Shyamalan favourite, Frank Collison as Victor. And they clearly are in charge of this place. And there's a generation younger than them who just listen to absolutely everything and do everything they say, basically. Right, can we just talk about what's actually happening here? Because we can't wait until we actually get to the reveal of it in the in the third Yes, act. I think you're right. right. I think, let's go for it, man. 
we're not in the olden times. Du, du, du. <laughs> <laughs> what we've got here is a bunch of pseudo intellectuals who didn't like living in the violent modern times anymore. So in the seventies, sixties or seventies, they've set up this commune in the woods. As far as the offspring of these um, of these elders are concerned, it's the eighteen nineties. And there are monsters that are out in the woods and they must never leave the village because they don't want them to be exposed to the horrors of the modern world. And I honestly think this is one of the most psychotic things. (laughs) 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 Because we're not really... I don't ever get the sense that we're supposed to see them as evil characters, the elders, but they're absolute lunatics. Yes. If you actually break down what they do in this film and what they're actually up to, they are psychopaths, every single one of them. <laughs> it, it is really true. It's so difficult, this, in, in a lot of ways, because I like to see people make, in you know, in movies and in fiction, yeah, just yeah. in stories, make mad decisions. But this has taken a group of people make one absolutely insane decision. And the decision has all sorts of other facets to it, like... They've obviously, like everything about this is conscious. Like, right, we're not just going to go into the woods. We're going to make everyone dress from 100 years ago. We're not just going to do that. We're going to speak in a manner that, like the manner of speaking that these people have is insane. Like very early on, there's that moment where William Hurt is a teacher and he finds the kids all looking. And it's as much as I love Shyamalan and I love this movie, it might be the worst line of dialogue I've ever heard in my life, I think. And it's, he sees the children all looking at a dead animal on the floor and he approaches and says, what manner of spectacle has caught your attention so splendidly? I ought to carry it in my pocket to help me teach. <laughs> Jeepers creepers. <laughs> and it's just like, the, 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 so buying into this, these people have all made this conscious decision to make this maniac commune and they must have known it was going to blow up at some point. What did they expect was going to happen? But like, Providing that they're from, you know, assuming that they're from the 70s or 80s, they've got no real frame of reference of this time period anyway, other than from films and stuff. There was no guns, <laughs> seems so, to be the, the so, long so like, and the short of it. I, I mean, it's all, it, it's artistic licenses to, to make us believe that it's this olden time with all the olden time you speak and stuff like that. But I, I mean, uh, to be honest, I, for the a large part of this opening, just thought they were some sort of religious community rather than a old timey community because that's the, you know there are certain religious communities who do this where they have their own little communities sort of taken away from the modern world with no gadgets or mm. transportation or anything like that so that's just kind of what it felt like to me but to, just to the thing is what, what, what there's a real logic bump that comes with this it's like right you don't want to live in the modern world anymore it's too violent by the way that's a lot of murders and heinous crimes happening within one university faculty. <laughs> I, I honestly think it's William Hurt who's committing a lot of these crimes because he wants to go and live in the woods with his mates. My word, what a, a secondary twist. <laughs> no, that would be a twist, wouldn't it? Heck. <laughs> he just wanted to ask out Sigourney Weaver and it got out of hand. <laughs> like, <laughs> 50 year long game <laughs> to try and ask her out. <laughs> but So they've been there for at least 20 to 30 years, isn't there? Because there's there's two, there's two, three generations, isn't there? There's elders, their children, and then there's children of those children because yeah, that's what's yeah. populating the... So they've been there at least 30 years. 
has nobody had an accident during that time that would have required penicillin or antibiotics? I get that you think that the modern world is too violent now and you don't want to get involved with that anymore. But you don't think that... So penicillin is also evil. (laughs) And the thing is, these cosplaying idiots will believe anything you say you could you could tell them that william hurt pisses penicillin like that don't they won't question it at all you've got them believing all sorts of mumbo jumbo this, this is very much like the westboro baptist church has just been given like yeah. free reign to make their own thing yeah it's been given a nice park also an, an all-white community as well yeah oh yeah quite unsettling as well it is it is <laughs> well well that sort of medical thing sets off the the sort of main crux of the movie, it isn't is. it? Because um, Joaquin Phoenix is Lucius after uh, Brendan Gleeson's son dies. He feels like he needs to go out and get medicine for because it's called like the the outer towns, yeah, 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 um, which is beyond the woods, and everyone's scared of the woods. But he wants to sort of break that and go past this perimeter that they've set up. Um, and he's trying to convince the elders to go, and they're just like, no, he'll figure out the ruse if he goes. Psychopaths. Psychopaths. Rather let their own kids die than get medicines. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I I I and you know, all the sort of logic loops aside, I really liked the the, the building of the mystery element of yes. it. And and that's obviously yep. all helped with the score. Um it's all very suspenseful and, and really good. I, I I like the sort of setup of that perimeter. Yes. And and the colours as well, because there there's this sort of as with Shyamalan's previous movies, there's always like a reference to a specific color. Yeah, and in this one, it's like red is like a a, a, a no go color. Like that's like a warning sign, and they all wear yellow, don't they? It's all very brown and yellow in in the village, and they've got these like lovely yellow hoods, um, which was I just thought looked great. It's just yeah. just very simple, really nice bit of costume design that looked really good. And Lucius is is sort of courted by. Bryce Dallas Howard. Well, first, Judy Greer. Oh, sorry, Judy, her yeah, sister. That's, quite, that's really quite funny. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's so well played that I really like yeah. it. So she, 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 she tries to um, woo uh, Lucius, um, but he's having none of it because he has eyes for Ivy. This sort of first, the first sort of forty-five is this building up of what is it in the woods? Um, these little monsters, and you don't really, you don't really see them. You just hear them, and then there's like the odd shot where you just catch a glimpse of it. And there's a bit, isn't there, where Michael Pitts on the to- on the watchtower, and you just see it walk past oh. the gap, like the monster, yeah. which is like, Whoa. so ace, proper chill, really good stuff. Bit, yeah. Yeah. So ace. I think so. All all that build up of the mystery and of what these monsters are is like really good. It really works. Yeah. It's, it's a really you know. As some of those reviews said, he like he is good with the suspense, and he he sort of does yeah. does really and, well. And the sorry to interrupt, so the hiding of the color, you know, like there's a bit with a berry, isn't it? The girls find some yeah. girls sweeping find like some berries, and they're like, oh, oh you know, like ha- burying it away to Newton Howard score. All adds to that, doesn't it? That the build up mm. of the suspense and the it's world building as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Which I think all that all that's done really well, you know, to to sort of give them all a reason to be scared of going beyond that perimeter. But things get a bit out of hand, don't they? Because uh, livestock are getting, uh, you know, they're finding a lot of dead livestock dotted around, and the the monsters that shouldn't be crossing the perimeter into the village themselves are apparently starting to do that, and um, it's a bit of a problem. <laughs> uh, in one of my favourite scenes ever, that when um, 
the bell is rung and the little face that Michael Pitt pulls before the bell is rung is brilliant. Like almost like this has never been done before. I don't know whether I can do it. He pulls it, the bell rings, everyone runs inside in the lovely community. Lovely nights there, you know, where everyone's safe and happy. Well, they were safe and happy. Lovely dancing. Lovely dancing, <laughs> yeah. And then Bryce Dallas Howard is out, like, holding her hand out, waiting for, you know, like, some help. Yeah. But this thing is coming up on the porch to her. Um, and it was it was the moment with the just before it when... Lucius is on another porch and he sees the thing approach a door and its fingers move. That do you remember that the fingers spread? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. so effective. It's so great and and terrifying. And I really I this is a huge small communities outside threat, creepy business. This is ticking everything for me. Absolutely. Yeah, it's right up your street, Oh, it? it's <laughs> it's an elixir for my bones this at this point. Um and and the score is great when Lucius Fox takes her hand, um, and there there you know it as uh, Chris Farley and Billy Madison said, him and her they're gonna get it on. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> is he called Lucius Fox? No, he's not. No, he's sorry, called, it's Lucius Fox. I'm so sorry. What an idiot! What an idiot! I'm sorry. Let me let me take your hand there, Missy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, and and thus you know it it extrapolates from there in that you know there's a situation that's spiraling out of control, um, and the elders don't know why they're suddenly encroaching on that. Spoiler alert! Can I just do the spoiler alert now? Is that all right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is the flipping elders. It is them. I know they've got they've Lunatics. got the, like this this shed. Um, and it's got the, the the costumes all hung up, so they've concocted this myth to keep them all there. Lunatics, mm. you're absolutely right. They are insane. These people, because the the sort of breaking point of when William Hurt's character Ed is the leader sort of breaks the sort of um, rules they've set with this perimeter is when Noah is is uh, sees this romance unfold between um, Lucius and Ivy, and he gets a bit jealous. And this is the pivotal point in the film, isn't it, really, when Noah sort of gets wind of their little romance and bloody shivs him, uh, gets super jealous and shivs old Lucius. I was very surprised how um, he's not in it that much, Joaquin Phoenix. I thought no. he's like top billing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's all very much built around him and, and he's not in it for that much because of yeah. this moment. So I found that really a shocking I, I scene. It's hugely effectively It's a brilliant well. twist. Yeah, it it's is. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. And it's really effective how it's done. Yeah. And to be honest with you, the first 45 minutes of this film, I'm with it. 100 percent you know if i'm watching it and i'm thinking oh there's monsters out there and all this and it's really foreboding and there's a sense of dread and it looks great and it sounds great and the performances are good and this moment where uh, noah stabs lucius is really quite disturbing scene brilliantly executed yeah and then the rest of the movie happens Yeah, this is, I mean, I think without doubt, this is the most effective scene of the film and is the best scene of the film, I think. you know, it's, I, I think you're right. It, I, the the way it's done is so good. And it was almost by accident as well, because it was it was rated as an R because they had a sound effect of the knife going in. Oh. Um, so they took that out to get the lower rating. 
um, and they just realised it worked better anyway without. Oh, that's it. amazing! It, it, was it really does. Really striking that you don't hear the sound; yeah. it all goes silent. And, and such it? great like, performances by the two actors as well. You know, like, oh, yeah, it, and it's also silent and intimate, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and it's just really effective. It's just like close-up shots of both their eyes, like looking down the barrel. Yeah, um, and then this like eerie silence is just killed by the crash of Lucius falling oh, to the floor because no. he's just yeah. been stabbed. And then it's the se- it's the second oh, that's awful. plunge is the really like the 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 really gut wrenching bit that, but quite literally in Lucius's case. <laughs> <laughs> but it really like it's quite sickening, and oh, you horrible. don't usually see that in a film that's like a twelve, yes, or a yeah. PG thirteen. Uh, like hearing the sort of like the damp thud, like uh, you know, of some uh, like awful, yeah. It's not gratuitous. No, no. It's, but it is quite shocking in its simplicity. It's and, horribly uh, matter of fact, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's I I re- and again I know we've talked about Brody's performance, but I think his confusion at what he's done and his happiness. It's like he's he's like he's happy, he's distraught, he's confused with what he's done. Um it, I, I, oh dear. And and this obviously brings on, you know, sorry, after watching this, I was obsessed for ages with medicines. <laughs> medicines from the towns. What do you mean? Beecham's? What do you mean? <laughs> Calpole for the kids. But, uh, yeah, so, so uh, yeah, they send out Ivy. And I, I presume that they allow her to go, A, because it's his daughter. But then also because um, she's blind, so she probably won't see it anyway. Yes. <laughs> so she's fine. Yeah. I mean... Of course, my mate in the cinema didn't realise we couldn't put any of that together. Can we do a... Uh, I think I'd like to do a big nod to Bryce Dallas Howard. I think she's excellent. She's amazing. Yeah, she's film. absolutely brilliant. She's a very likable presence, isn't she? She is, yeah. Because um... she, uh, she's got spark. She manages warmth and sympathy. You know, you're sympathetic towards her character immediately, but not because of um, her condition. You're sympathetic because she's yep. she's bold and funny and cool, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Is this one of her first movies? I think it... Yes, definitely. And she was not supposed to be the one to play the role. Oh, really? It was uh, Kirsten Dunst dropped out to go and make Elizabeth Town, which is... Not very good. <laughs> uh, and uh, honestly, I, 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 what I do want to touch on because we do love Adrian Brody on this mm, podcast. Mm, I don't, mm. I don't want to uh, cast aspersions on him. Uh, we did Predators. We thought he was great in that movie. Oh, yeah. And the fact is, it could have been a whole lot worse because apparently Ashton Kutcher was originally cast as Noah, <laughs> but dropped out due to scheduling conflicts. So imagine how bad it could have been. <laughs> I'm going to be honest, I'd like to see that take. <laughs> yeah, is that Ashton Kutcher's attempt at doing serious? Uh, butterfly effect. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, she gets shown the shed um, by her dad, and her dad says things, and again, I think the delivery of this is so great, as in the timing of the reveals is brilliant, because the, he, uh, Shyamalan drip-feeds the reveals. So he says, you know, we only did these things, you know, because at this point we don't know, one, that it's not sort of present-ish day, but we also don't know that the things in the woods aren't real. So this is where she's taken to the shed to give her courage for the, you know, for the trip out. Um, the trip out. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, he... He basically says it's all bollocks. He does, it yeah, up. he does. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> he really does. Uh, th- this kind of lost me a bit though, because the, the 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 sort of way the narrative plays out kind of jumps back and forth, doesn't it? It all gets very messy at this stage. I think. I think he loses the threads at this point. Yeah, because Walker's telling Ivy about the the sort of ruse they've got and on the community, and that's simultaneously cut with her travelling through the woods with um, Michael Pitt and another and another guy who are, uh, to to get to the to get the medicine. They both shite it and go by. <laughs> but I'm confused why if she knows at this point that they're not real, that she gets scared. I don't I don't kind I of think get it's that because bit. things are still happening around her, isn't it? That you know yeah, like, she can't see she yeah. can't she can't see what's going on around her, but she can undeniably feel that something is happening. Yeah. And I think it's like, oh no, he was wrong. They uh, they do exist, right, 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 right? Yeah, because she's got no frame of reference. She doesn't know that it's just a person dressed up and yeah, in a costume. Yeah, l- like I say, I I think what's happened with this film is that Shyamalan is very much seen as the twist guy yes. at this point, and he's got he's gotten away from that a bit now with his with his later work. But I think he felt immense pressure to pull the rug out yes. in every single movie. And I think what's happened here is he knows what he wants to get to, but he's not able to bring it together in a in a logical or satisfying sense. And that's what he starts intercutting between uh Ivy on this um on this expedition to go and get the medicines mm. from the towns and what's being revealed to her from by by William Hurt. It just gets a bit messy because it's almost like Right, she needs to do this, and she knows this information, but I don't want the audience to know this bit yet, so I'm going to flash back to this bit, and then, and it all just becomes a little bit muddled mm. in there. So we don't know. Like you say, Simon, it is confusing, because it's like, I'm trying to now think in my head the chronology. Well, obviously she knows that she's been told that the monsters don't exist, but does she think that he's wrong, or that it's actually a person out there? Yeah. From the moment that Joaquin Phoenix character is is stabbed. There's just little uh, holes being punched in the in the tapestry of the movie, and before you know it, it they're everywhere, mm. and it's a big gaping chasm. Then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because um, it, it's it's sort of revealed in this part that it, it's uh, it's it's Noah, isn't it? He? He's the one causing all the. He found a suit from yeah. his parents, and he's the. That's one why he been... loves the monsters so much because he knows it's all bullshit, yeah. doesn't he? He's yeah. been like sneaking around the village and finding out all the all the yeah. secrets, and he's been killing all the animals and things like that, and and causing a, the, the the sort of problems in the, in the town. And then he he falls on a trap, doesn't he? And and sees a, a sad end. But she tricks um, him. Yeah, she. Uh, well, she doesn't know it's him. She she knows she's just being pursued in the woods, but she remembers where there's a, a sort of a, a very deep pit. Who put that there, by the way? <laughs> I, I can't. I, to stop to stop humans coming in, maybe. Maybe, yeah, yeah, to stop people. Because I mean, they've done well to keep people out of the park, haven't they? Like just random guy, like kids rocking up to what the hell is this little village in the middle of this <laughs> closed off park? If there's anything that's going to tempt mischievous teenagers, yeah. it's a big perimeter wall around the park <laughs> saying do not enter. Like they're definitely going to be trying to go in there. Is William Hurt a descendant of the owner of this wildlife reserve? Yes, I, is yes. he the son of a billionaire, he, well, basically, he, which is I the think, only way you can pull this stuff yes, off? Yes, I think so. Yes, I think he's the son or the brother, I think, of a... Because yeah. the, par- the park is called Walker. It is. Walker Wildlife yeah. Reserve. So they essentially... I mean, I love the boldness of that, because essentially, right, Noah gets binned into the pit. 
they get slam dunked straight into the pit. And he's he's he dies. Downtown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is it the shoes? Um he is a tostado. He's gone. And um <laughs> then now having rid her, rid herself of the pursuer, Bryce Dallas Howard's running through the woods with a great big stick. And then um, <laughs> she hits a big fence, climbs over it, and she's on a road, like an actual present day road. And obviously in the cinema, sorry, not in the cinema, I didn't see it in the cinema. Watching it that very first time, I was like, ah, ah, you know, I saw a, like, a modern road, like, ah, I, ah. I, could, honestly, I could not compute what I was seeing. And then a car, having watched an hour and a half of period drama, essentially, to suddenly see a car, I was just done for. And then this guy speaking in modern vernacular that isn't William Hurt's sort of stuttered Shakespeare speech or whatever was just mad. And uh, he's like, what are you doing here? You know, like, it's so it reminded good. me at the end of Monty Python and the Holy Grail when the uh, <laughs> when all the coppers yeah. turn up when and the cop- <laughs> Yes, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm sure is not what he was going for, but <laughs> that's the first thing it's that so true. to mind. All these weirdos <laughs> playing cosplay in the forest. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and then she says, uh, "I need the towns. I need medicines." Again, and it looks like, oh, I've got these back at my shed. <laughs> you know, yeah. So he goes back, and then here's the obligatory. Here he is. Uh, and, yeah, so in the reflection of the uh, refrigerator with all the medicines in, you can see uh, writer, producer, director, M. Night Shyamalan, sitting there, giving the giving it out the lines. Because he, he, he sort of, like, reveals to the, to the part range of that, they have the same rules on that side, don't they? Where they having their job is to stop people getting in. Yeah. Yes. For this, so there's a lot of people in on this. Uh, I don't think they know what's in there. Yeah. They just got to stop people. Do they? Yeah, know, yeah. Because right? he's I... like, "What? You came from in there, Kevin, the security guard." Yeah. I, I I love this grand ruse. I do really like it. I mean, obviously, it's hugely yeah. problematic morally, <laughs> but. <laughs> I do, I do love the effort that's gone into this, and it's absolute maniac behaviour. It's absolute maniac behaviour. Um, hugely prosecutable. Is that even a word? Oh, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. I mean, huge legal troubles here. Well, kidnap, surely. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, yes. a lot. <laughs> false imprisonment, all sorts. Yeah, I mean, he's basically running a cult in the woods. Yeah, it yes. is a cult. Yeah, one hundred percent, it is a cult. And and, th- and those poor people haven't had the forward-thinking choice to be in that cult. They're no. just they're there. They're born there, or which is why it's which is why it's quite a sad ending because Ivy goes back. Mm. Well, sort of, you know, knowing the deal with it all, but then wants to go back and and go back to her normal life because that's all she knows and. She wants to save her husband to be and everything. So it is quite a sad ending. Oh, it's unrelentingly bleak, the ending. Yeah. Because <laughs> you find out yeah. that Noah's died out in the woods and his parents are like devastated. But like William Hurts is like, this is good because, <laughs> because Ivy <laughs> killed one of the monsters. This really backs up our bullshit now. He didn't <laughs> die for nothing. Like. We can really indo- we can really brainwash them now with more lies. And, yeah. and it's like, are we all in on this or are we going back? 
Are we? Go- I mean, I'm certain that some of these elders are sneaking out to go to like Burger King and catch the latest like, Star Wars. <laughs> and stuff, like. There's no way you're going cold turkey on modern times, like. No way. Well, I don't know. They they appear to have. Yeah, but that, not if they needed anything. They'd... Well, no, no, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Brendan Gleeson stumbling in late on from the local, you know, Hooters. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no description. No, yeah. Oh, dear. Covered in Denny's, like. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and it ends very abruptly, doesn't it? Because there is that, that scene in the same scene. Yeah. Well, basically, yeah, because Joaquin Phoenix has just been in bed for the last 45 minutes of the movie. <laughs> and... Bryce Dallas Howard comes back with the with the medicines, hands them over, and then they've all committed to this lie. Yeah. We assume Joaquin Phoenix is going to be able to recover, but nothing is, is going to change. They're all just going to carry on living in yeah. this fake yeah. 1897, and nobody's learned anything. Essentially, yes, that's the. They think they've part. created a utopia, and it's it's a cult. Essentially, you you. I I think you're totally right, and. Whether you can outweigh the cruelty of making people in a cult. And I don't know if that's what he's going for or not, but it's... Yes, I know, yeah. That's the problem I have with it. If I knew 100% that's what he was going for, then I'd be more into the movie. Yeah. But I don't know if that is... Because he never presents them as questionable people. They're all seen as quite honourable in the way that they're framed, the elders. I know what you mean. I think that framing um, gets more and more um, darker as we go through. Yeah. You know, as as Edward starts to reveal a little bit about what he was doing, he said, please don't think bad of us. We were doing this to, to protect you, this kind of stuff. Um, whereas, but, but I, do, I do think, oh, I can't work out where I am with, is it Shyamalan saying, you know, gosh, look how easy it is for people to become totally unstuck and do mad stuff, yeah. you know, if they just make a few bad decisions and how bad a cult. Or is he going like, wouldn't it be a great twist if these people lived in the woods and they'd been raised to think it was years ago, but it's actually not. You know what I mean? And I think it's probably the latter. Yeah. Better or worse, I think it's probably the latter. Um, should we? Well, because we've just hit the end of the film there and obviously we've got all sorts more to sum up. <laughs> but um, can I get your best bits? It's hard to look past the the midpoint twist with uh, Joaquin Phoenix and Adrian Brody because mm. I remember seeing that in the cinema and everybody gasped when it was revealed. Really, oh, awesome. that he'd stabbed him uh, because nobody saw it coming. Because as you say, he's top build in the movie, and yeah, he's been set up as the protagonist of the film along with Bryce Dallas Howard. And yeah, it was just a. Re- I think that was a really, really well executed piece of plotting and a great rug pull, and that could have been enough. You know, I would prefer this movie if it was just about monsters in the woods. Yes, yes. <laughs> like, I know what you mean. Yeah, I, 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 I think that was enough. Yeah, 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 and it's and it's the blind girl having yeah. to yeah get through a woods full of monsters to get um, the the mysterious medicine box. <laughs> Yeah, probably right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, uh, so is that your favourite bit then? The the sort of the prison rules. Yeah, it's chip, so devastating <laughs> and disturbing. Yeah. It's it's it, it's the one part of, you know it's the one real scene in this film where it just it it goes oh right we are dealing with the guy who directed the Sixth Sense and Unbreakable and 
and whatnot here. He's, he's, you know, he is capable even in his in his lesser work of elevating certain scenes to these incredible levels that other filmmakers can't do. And I just think that's a really, really well executed scene. It is, yeah. Awesome. Uh, what is your favourite bit? Sorry. Yeah, I mean that scene is masterful, but um. My favourite scene was the bit where Judy Greer is gleefully proposing to Lucius and she's dead happy and she's just yelling and then it just, it hard cuts to her crying uncontrollably. <laughs> like, like mega just ugly that crying. Was like the funniest, just <laughs> the, the funniest, one of the funniest hard cuts I've ever seen. Um, it's just, just so, so funny and there are a couple of really funny bits in it, some intentional, some not intentional, mm-hmm. but this was, um, I'm sure this was an intentional, yes. very hilarious bit, um, but that was, I laughed out loud at that, I thought it was very funny. <laughs> <laughs> Sold impeccably by Judy Greer as well. Yes, uh, who, again, absolutely brilliant. Um, I, I'm going to go with the uh, the fingers, those long fingers when it reaches to the door, when the creature, you first see a creature in the village and it reaches at the door that whole playing of that little scene is just so fabulous and also the fear in phoenix's eyes um part of that's carried over from the fear he showed in um signs yes how great he was when he was watching the the famous brazilian yeah. video in signs <laughs> you know where scariest thing i've ever seen yeah yeah um Jesus just Christ. incredible um no i i just think that so so great uh, and one of my one of my favourite creature moments, even though it's not really a creature in cinema, possibly I think actually. Um, so, should we do the verdicts then? Should we have a crack at it? Don't know whether the discussion will end there, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, James, what are you thinking? So, I'm conflicted because on the one hand, the work from Deakins, Newton Howard, and Dallas Howard is absolutely sublime. They're all bringing their A-game. And the film is suitably atmospheric, and at various points it creates a tangible sense of dread. But on the other hand, from a story perspective, it's absolute tosh. And not just any old tosh, dour tosh. (laughs) I can tolerate fun tosh. Last year's Old, for instance, which we've already touched on, I had a great time with that movie, but this just isn't a fun sit, especially when you know all the reveals. And, you know, I think I've made clear over the 80-odd episodes that we've done of of this podcast, I'm willing to let a lot go in terms of logic leaps, but there are just too many holes in this and I can't get past it. If, like me, you had a positive memory of seeing The Village a few years back, leave it in your memory it's unlikely to improve on a rewatch. However, what I will say is, let me just show you this book I have here, guys. So I'm uh, holding up a book here. Can you both see that? Yeah. I... Okay, so it's called yeah. The Man Who Heard Voices or How M. Night Shyamalan Risked His Career on a Fairy Tale. Because I was always of the impression that Shyamalan f- fell off a little bit after The Village. Because I always, until I rewatched it this week, I always considered that The Village was... Uh, was a really solid movie. But this is about him making Lady in the Water. Ah. Mm. And I am going to dive into this, and I'm fascinated to see what impact the critical reception of The Village had on his decision-making with that particular movie. Yeah. I, yeah. 
I really like Lady in the Water. I'm like one of, I think I'm the only person in the world who liked that movie. I really, really like. I think it. Rob liked it. <laughs> um, I've seen it once, and it wasn't for me. Oh, actually, <laughs> so amazing though, isn't it? That I think we, I think maybe we both bought it in the uh, blockbuster. I think we did five for we twenty. Did. It might even have been the like, same there was night. About Fifty side. of them. Yeah, there was, yeah, was loads of them. Of them yeah. The yeah. So I was buy this, and, and yeah, I, I, I fully aware I am completely on my own on this, but I, I, I've only seen it once, but I, I, I was very enamoured by it, and I thought it was really lovely. <laughs> you should stay enamoured by it, dude. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I'm that's one for the again. future definitely <laughs> and also guys as well I know it's, it sounds like I'm really down on the movie no the ambition is unquestionable he's really going for he's going yes. for it it's just a swing and a miss on this on this particular occasion and I think that's entirely fair to say that I really do I really do um, but what about you Sai? yeah I'm uh, quite similar to, to James I am a little torn with this one I, I think from a filmmaking standpoint there's so much good stuff going on with this um and one thing i really noticed that really stood out is i think you know aside from adrian brody's sort of borderline offensive performance <laughs> and that character i, I just I, I don't think it's aged at all it, it's aged so well um because it just still looks brilliant and sounds brilliant and it's such a testament to both Shyamalan and sir Rodge, <laughs> um at how good it looks like it well, how how old is it? Was it two thousand and four? Yeah, so nearly twenty years old. Yeah, twenty, and it and it looks great. And you know, it, it's it's really quite striking how how good it really looks. And there's some flashes of like real, arguably like real genius. Um, the scene we've spoke about several times where Noah stabs Lucius is executed so sublimely. And when we first catch a glimpse of the monster, is really quite eerie and uh, genuinely made um, the hairs on the back of my neck stand on end. Again, the score by James Newton Howard is like the standout star of the show for me. It's just so goddamn good and powerful and haunting and beautiful, um, all in equal measure. And uh, I've actually ordered it today because <laughs> I really thought it was that brilliant. Um, it's honestly one of the best scores I've ever heard. I, I think it's it was nominated for an Oscar, and you know, rightly so. It's just it's really, really, really good. Um, but yeah, despite all that. You know, a bit of an underwhelming finale, and as James says, you know, a couple of weird sort of plot holes, particularly that bit where it's jumping back and forth in the narrative with with Ivy in the woods, which sort of the the sort of it comes undone at the seams, I think, at that point. So, so with that in mind, it's it's kind of quite easy to see why the village was the film that sort of sadly kicked off Shyamalan's quite spectacular fall from grace, really. I didn't. I didn't not like it. I, I enjoyed a lot of it, to be honest. I, I think it was for someone who's never seen it. There's plenty to get out of it, but uh, I wouldn't say it's, it's sort of it's high up on the most essential viewing of his back catalogue. It's sort of like mid to low for Shyamalan. Plenty to like, but um, unfortunate where it does sort of misstep here and there. Interesting. I think these are all really valid points, lads. I really, really do. Despite my obvious love for the movie, which I'm about to extol yet again. <laughs> uh, I, I am... I, I, I've never liked easy stuff. You know, like, uh, if something's going to get into my sort of like top echelons of me loving something, it's because I'm being challenged with something, you know. Uh, notable exceptions being the 
appearances of Bigfoot through cinema uh, and alien abduction movies and things like that, you know. Showdown in Little Tokyo. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> very challenging movie. Very challenging. <laughs> yes, the back catalogues of Messrs. Brandon Lee and JCVD. And to a certain extent, Steven Seagal when he's not on the uh, the front line. Um, <laughs> don't take the podcast, Rob. Uh, <laughs> um, if a director is going to be swinging for the fences and he's also that competent at cinema, I'm going to enjoy it and I'm going to really, really, really have a good time. Um, if he happens to try and do creepy stuff while he's at it, I am really going to love that even more. Um, Shyamalan, I love from... I, I, it's not the beginning, actually, because I didn't see Sixth Sense until relatively late. Um, so I started with Unbreakable with Shyamalan, and that's what really... I just think that movie is absolutely incredible. Love it to pieces. There's so much of this I absolutely really love and is hugely effective, and I think so much of it hinges on how you buy uh, that final third, really, and how you feel about the reveal that it's not actually present day, uh, sorry, that it's not actually 1897, um, how you feel about what <laughs> maniac leaps of logic and judgment the elders have made to get them all here, and how you feel about there actually not being a creature after all. But because it's so well executed and it's so boldly told and it's so brilliantly performed right the way through by an outstanding cast, um, and that outstanding um, personnel is both in front and behind the camera, I, I can't help but love every minute of this. Um, I'd rather someone go for it and fail just about, yeah, or, or fail and having gone for it, than meh. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I don't think Shyamalan is capable of giving us meh. I just don't think. So um, this will always... Uh, and, and also because, you know, there's always rose-tinted spectacle, isn't there? Spectacles! Sorry, rose-tinted spectacles! <laughs> Ro there's a rose-tinted quality to the nostalgia I feel about this as well because it really blew my socks to pieces when I saw it that first time. Mm. And I think a lot of the time I'm so locked into that. But I just really, really love it. I think if you've never seen it, um, don't listen to this podcast first. <laughs> Sorry. We did get a warning at the start. We did, we did. We did. <laughs> but but if, if you if you are only for some reason catching this summary right now and you've not listened to the rest of the episode, <laughs> um, I would definitely suggest uh, giving this a try and going with an open mind for, um, for storytelling that might be hit or miss, but if it hits with you, it will really land. Um, but by the same token, if it misses with you, it might really miss. Yeah. So, you know, at least go in there and enjoy. I think if you've got an interest in the sort of filmmaking side of things, the craft side of things, you, you're going to get pointers on how to shoot something and how to light something and things like that from this. Because I, I do think the filmmaking elements of it are so good. Um, and it's obvious why it's so good, because of the talent that, that Shyamalan used behind the camera. And I think that's where you get your worth out of this film is how it's been put together in terms of all the little elements that make a film that people don't give credit for. No least the Oscar committee who've decided to nix all those things from the telecast <laughs> as if they don't contribute. The things to the that film. make a film a film. <laughs> yeah, the films that make a film a film. So if you're interested in all those things the Oscars apparently aren't, um, then, yeah, this is what you'll get out of the village, I think. Cool. I I think that's a really well-rounded discussion yeah. on a very divisive film, and a fair one, too. The film works much better on a first viewing than it does on repeat 
viewings, I would say. As most of his films yeah. do, I think. Yeah. yeah. You know. Um although with this one I found I found a lot of um enjoy enjoy you know, rewatch value, enjoyable rewatch value with that. Um but um I'm just probably a sucker for medicines. <laughs> <laughs> The desire for medicines. Uh, boys, that was lovely. Um, we'll be back next time with James's pick, I think. Yes. Oh. Yes. What do you got? What do you so at uh, the top of the show, I was talking about The Colour of Money, which is something of a forgotten Martin Scorsese film. And we've not had Marty on the pod yet because he doesn't miss very often. Uh, but I've got an overlooked one, which brings together two of my favourite things, Martin Scorsese and Nicolas Cage. So we're going to have a look. Egg. At bringing out the dead, oh, just superb. You are Cage like as a, a burnt-out paramedic in a Martin Scorsese movie. Let's do it. You're a springtime Santa Claus, James. Also on Disney Plus, hilariously excellent. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I am looking forward to that. Um, well, fellas, have a good uh, a, a good uh, time. <laughs> Until I see you next. Sorry, that is weak. That is weak airtime. That um, fellas, look after yourself. Until I see you next. Yeah, you too. Yeah, well, thank you. I jolly will. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, listeners, thanks for tuning in. Tune in next time for bringing out the dead. Uh, chat us up on the twitters. Don't chat us up like in a romantic sense. Just talk with us. <laughs> Blimey. Uh, talk with us on the twitters. We love hearing from you. Um, and yeah, please give us five stars on your subscription service of choice. Uh, say goodbye, boys. Bye bye. Bye. Bye-bye. I'm all uh, off to go and pack my kids in the, well, the stagecoach and uh, <laughs> tell them it's 1897. <laughs> what about you, boys? Room for plenty of us in my, in my wildlife reserve. <laughs> my son's only four. I could probably get him on board. I think you'd get away with it. <laughs> get away with it. Do you remember that bit in the movie when they said they were paying for planes to be rerouted? I mean, how rich are these people? Insane. Insane. <laughs> <laughs>